Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I'm your host, Bill Sickens. Welcome to the show this week. Happy Halloween. Got that coming up tomorrow. Great time of the year. It's already the fall. Boy, where has the year gone? Again, been a very strange year, but, uh, you know, we're getting through the holidays. We're getting through it, and here we are. Coming up this fall and next winter, we actually have two in-person events that we're actually looking at doing. Hopefully, they will come off. It's the Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, and that's December 2nd through the 5th. And then the Consumer Electronics Show, January 5th through the 8th in Las Vegas. Both of them are great shows, so hopefully they will happen, and hopefully we'll be able to actually get to them. That safety will allow for that. Send us your questions and your comments, 503-766-6264, one user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter. That's how we do our program. We get the information that you want to hear and then put it out there and hopefully be able to get things that are interesting. And along that line, and with no further ado, we've got a great news segment coming up. So what's in the news? A new cryptocurrency called WorldCoin wants to scan 1 billion irises by... 2023 to speed up digital currency adoption. Yeah, what talk, do you think of that? Talk about intending <laughs> art in some ways here. Um, so what uh, this is is WorldCoin. In order to accept their coin, once they have a database of your iris, so you can just scan your eye to make a payment using their coin system. What could possibly go wrong? And you know right? what my answer would be? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many other people? Raise your hands. Who yeah. would all say no? Uh, uh, yeah. No. <laughs> Now, digital currency has definitely been in the news lately. We've talked about it here a number of times. And these type of situations, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of fluctuation in the value. Bitcoin goes up and then it comes way down and you know, these type of things. And it's just a situation where this would be another twist. But the problem that I see with something like this, again, isn't even so much people that would want to be a part of this. That's fine. But it's databases being stolen, personal information out there, these kind of things being attacked. And right now with digital currency, cryptocurrency, there isn't a lot of regulation to no regulation, depending on the country you're in. So what is done with your personal information also may or may not be controlled, you know? So you don't well, know and where then this it, is going. And if I have a store, you know, I have to buy another set of, of purchasing tools. So I can't just have the card reader. Now I have to have an eyeball scanner. Yeah, but that would be. You know, I mean, sorry. No. (laughs) That would definitely be a situation. And I've been led to understand, I don't know if this is true, that it is harder to change your iris than even a social security number. Yes. Yes, that would be true. T Mobile delays shutdown of Sprint's CDMA network. So Sprint and T Mobile merged. If you haven't heard Mm. about it, it happened uh, earlier. And right now they're dealing with the technology being different on the two networks. Originally, They were going to keep Sprint's network in operation until 2023, and Mm -hmm. T-Mobile announced earlier in the year that they were going to shut it down actually on January 1st, which has created some problems. So now they're pushing it out to, I believe, the end of March. I don't know what big difference that's going to make. The reason this is important is old devices, Mm -hmm. and a lot of things still use the old Sprint network, uh, Sprint phones for one, uh, older ones if you still have one. Yeah. But the other side of it, things like Boost Mobile use Sprint's mm-hmm. network, so all of their phones are CDMA. And the technology, GSM, that's being used more widely now, CDMA was primarily 
a North American thing. You did see it in some other spots. It was never very widely adopted beyond that. But it's a completely different method of doing cellular communications, and one device cannot talk to the other network. So when you shut it off, every device that's meant for this network will no longer operate. Oh. And that's where this is an issue. And part of the deal with the SCC for the merger on this was that they would keep the old network in operation for that time. T-Mobile's saying that they need the bandwidth to be able to further deploy 5G, and that is true, but that's why they are wanting to not keep it online as long. So that's what's happening with that. It's a three-month reprieve for whatever good that will do, and we'll see what happens going forward. This new one-person EVTOL is like a real-life Star Wars speeder. So we're going to need to describe what this thing looks like. Yeah, and we'll actually do one better. We'll go ahead and post a link to the video on our social media. And um, so, uh, Gretchen, I'll remind you to do that uh, right before we air. And what we can do is put a description. So for everybody that's listening now, go ahead and check that out because it really is kind of cool. Now, we've all seen the video. What do you think of it? It's like a motorcycle with with uh, four fan blades, and it looks awesome. And it kind of hovers like a Star Wars speeder. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna be amazing. I don't know. They're Bill, spendy, but Bill, cool. would you ride one of these? Yeah, I might when they get better set up. Yeah, right, it's right, a bit fragile. Right now, it's a prototype. All of the ones that have been offered have been pre-sold. You can get one for the low price of just a little over ninety thousand U.S. dollars. And if you spend that money, you actually get a kit. You assemble the kit, and the thing works. It's about a 20-minute runtime. They actually hmm. are really cool. Um, I think it would be a lot of fun to do. I'm not sure I'd want to ride that in a rain or a snowstorm, though, because it is open. <laughs> but um, definitely something where you would be doing a three-wheeler or an ATV or something like that. It could be a lot of fun. Technology like this is being a viable vehicle at this point. I don't know. But, you know, you got to start somewhere, and if the prototype's at 20 minutes, maybe they'll be able to get some that work a little bit more. They do have some safety features, uh, frame crumple zone, that type of a thing. The company that's manufacturing, it's called Jetson, um, <laughs> which I thought cute. was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so if you want one, you're going to probably have to look at going beyond the 2022 time frame, but they do seem like something that would be a lot of fun. I could see something like this. You have a place like Lake Tahoe where they rent them. Or you could take them out over the water or something like that. That would be fun. That would. Tesla's value tops $1 trillion after Hertz ordered 100,000 of its vehicles. Yeah, not bad for a company coming out of bankruptcy. Hertz, not Tesla, that is. Yeah. Um, but if you go and rent a car from Hertz, you might be able to rent a Tesla. One of the ideas here is that people can try them out, which I think that's kind of cool. They'll certainly have to do some education on the idea of charging. Because if you've only mm -hmm. ever had a gasoline vehicle, that could be a little bit of a nasty surprise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I can see where this would be successful. I know that tests like this have been in the past. Sleep Number, the company that makes the mattresses with the air bladder that you can set, they had those in hotels for a long time so that people could try them out in the hotel, see if they liked them, that kind of thing. So this is an idea on that, but um, mm -hmm. it is interesting to see. And, you know, Teslas were starting to see in a lot more places. A kind of a footnote to this article is they've also gotten approved to do a subway system in Las Vegas. So, yeah. uh, you know, they're the boring company, so they're going to be able to do that and then use Tesla cars, and that's what you ride around on on the subway. So, you know, there you are. Should be fun. Jeff Bezos reveals plans to build a space station called Orbital Reef. Yeah, commercial space station. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this is, you know, the next frontier, I guess, the final frontier, depending on how you look at it. 
Hmm. Commercially developed, owned, and operated space station to be built in low Earth orbit. Companies could operate a hotel, conduct research, do manufacturing, and so on. Uh, He calls it a mixed-use business park in space. (laughs) (laughs) That's a euphemism if I've ever heard one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Okay. It, wouldn't, it wouldn't be as accessible as the shopping center on the corner, but uh, no. Well, if your hamburger joint has some kind of problem and somebody burns something, the whole station will smell like burnt food. Yeah, there. Yeah, you know, it's. And we'd yeah. have to make a space compatible version of the light speeder we just talked about for the drive through at that restaurant. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Study compares electric vehicle charge costs versus gas, and results were surprising. Yeah, I can't say I was that shocked from this. So basically, <laughs> no. what the results are is that it actually costs more to operate an electric vehicle than a gas vehicle when you consider the right set of circumstances. And what they're talking about here is the cost of commercial charging stations and so on, uh, as well as the vehicle taxes that they're charging, EV tax in some states, all that kind of stuff put together. And when you talk about that kind of thing... um. It is interesting to look at this. Now, I am by no means anti-electric vehicle. I think it's a needed Mm. step here going into the future, but I just don't think we're quite there yet. Between recycling of batteries and the carbon footprint to create them and the electrical generation, it still will take some tweaking to really get them right, plus the fact that they're having all these problems with batteries blowing up. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little odd. I don't know. I, I really think the hybrids right now are really, if you want to do something neat and you have the money... I would suggest that. Yeah, hybrid, hybrids, I think, are, are a good middle-range cutover for this type of a thing. If you get a hybrid, you can get really good mileage on them. The only thing is is to make sure that the battery's good, because a lot of them, when they're three or four years old, you do have to replace the battery, and that can be a massive outlay of money. Mm. So it's just something to think about. Do your research, figure it out, and uh, and go from there. Well, tomorrow's Halloween. It's Halloween mm-hmm. weekend, so we're going to have a special Ooh. interview coming up here talking about role-playing, and then we're going to talk a little bit about horror and Dungeons and & Dragons and setting up campaigns and stuff like that. So we will be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Got a great interview for you coming up here. We are going to be talking Dungeons and Dragons and horror and game design. Hey, Halloween's tomorrow. It's a great time to talk about it. I'd like to introduce our guest, Mike Bernier. Now, did I say your name right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mike Bernier is correct. Great. I, welcome to the show. For some reason, that was an issue when we were doing the rehearsal. Also with us, Bill Snodgrass. Welcome. Hello. So let's talk about, let's just actually start out with, with Dungeons and Dragons and game design. I know that's something you guys do. There's a couple of modules that we've played and that we've really enjoyed. So where do you get your ideas and what does it take to put something like that together? Yeah, um, so our, our ideas mainly come, like they're organic. And you've probably played the two adventures that we've released so far. Um, you know, we mainly focus on articles that, that help um, DMs and players run their games. We, we do a lot of guides for, for character builds and, and stuff like that. Um, but the adventures that we've released, um, the first one that you would have played, um, Escape from Mount Balefor, is actually really interesting. So in my first campaign, 
um, first campaign I ever ran probably like five years ago. Um, my friends couldn't make a couple sessions. So I did a backstory one or two shot for, for a different character in, in, um, our party. And when I started arcane, I, I was looking through my campaign notes for ideas for one shot modules I could publish. And I was like, Hey, this is a great standalone one shot It involves stealth. It's a fairly unique setting. Um, yeah, so we we I, I went with that, and we give that adventure away for free on our website, um, just as kind of a teaser of you know the stuff that's to come. Okay, yeah, no, I know it was amazing. That's actually how I how I found it. To be perfectly honest, we were looking for something. We had a break in there, and then it really ended up working working out well. Now, your other campaign that we've done is Greek oriented, uh, from the Greek yeah. gods and that type of a thing, and that to me was really cool because it's something very different. How did you come up with that idea? That's a great question. I'm trying to think back to it because I know that um, you know with with COVID and, and everything, um, I was spending my New Year my New Year's Eve with my parents up at our cottage in Ontario. Um, it was a very quiet New Year's Eve for me, um, and I I think I was in the middle of like binging you know Wrath of the Titans and and those those classic Greek mythology books. Um, and I think I was playing like Assassin's Creed Odyssey as well. And I was like, hey, I want to make a Greek mythology campaign. I've loved Greek mythology since you know Disney released Hercules back when I was five years old. Um, and I, I, I want to make something that can, you know, hit this kind of chord with people. So um, I sketched the outline to it on New Year's Eve when I was hanging out with my parents. Um, and then my editor, um, Roland, who works with me on Arcane Eye, um, we kind of went back and forth, adjusting the mechanics. Um, we wanted to include a couple interesting bits, um, you know, things that were unique that we didn't see in other modules. So naturally, the Colosseum, um, the, the, the first part, you start in a Colosseum and you play through a series of games, which can eliminate your party. And then you have to kind of take a different route to finish the story. Um, that was our, our main kind of draw to this adventure. That, that, that's the unique thing about it. Bill, I know you helped me out in putting these campaigns together. What are your thoughts? Oh, I like the setting ideas and all that. Um, I know there were some different mechanics you've employed, uh, such as the chariot races and such. Mm -hmm. And I believe with the mountain one, that was, uh, specifically set for a lot of uh, rogue type characters or sneaky. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, the escape from Mount Belford, there's this homebrew mechanic that I've used a number of times in my, um, in different campaigns that I've played um, called stealth initiative. So in typical D and D when you're getting into combat, you roll initiative, you get ranked in a certain order and then you fight people in that order. But in uh, Escape from Mount Balefor, I wanted to make it feel like Dishonored games and Assassin's Creeds where, um, you know, you had a lot more things to do while stealthing. Like, you know, you could distract a guard and sneak by him. You could sneak up behind him and, you know, <laughs> incapacitate them. Um, so it moves slower than the typical um, stealth check happens in D and D. Typically, it's like, yeah, you know, you want to sneak up to this guy, roll some dice, and then get there. Whereas stealth initiative, you're using a battle map, you're moving thirty feet at a time, you're climbing objects, you're throwing things to distract guards. Um, so it's it's really, um, I feel like it fleshes out the the stealth aspect of that game a lot more. Um, and then the chariot race um, was something that um, 
I'm trying to think where I came up with that mechanic from, but I, I really like how you know the the platforms that you're you're on are moving, and you don't have to do a lot to to you know you don't have to dash or anything to to make those platforms move, but you're doing things to impede the enemies as as they're moving alongside you. Um, and actually, in the the um, module that Wizards of the Coast just released called Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Um, there's this part in a carnival where you're doing some sort of race and they actually follow a very similar mechanic to my, my chariot race. And like, obviously there's no new ideas out in the world. So I I don't think they copied me or anything, but I was like, Hey, at least I know I'm doing this stuff. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now that must've been interesting to see something basically that you'd put together, come up somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah, and who knows if it was actually seen by a game designer at Wizards of the Coast. And if it was, reach out to me because I'd love to work with you. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be cool. I, I I doubt that. They seem to have pretty, you know, first-rate stuff over there, and I don't think they would steal something, but it's still, it's a, no, no. It's a coincidence and a, and a very interesting one. So one of the other things that I know that we all deal with, especially moving online, is making maps for campaigns. And yeah. uh, this is something that personally I can't draw a straight line, so trying to do any of that on my own is always been difficult, but I understand you have a solution for that. Yeah. So, um, we've partnered with, uh, dungeon fog before, um, and dungeon fog is online map making software. And, you know, there's tons of different, uh, map making solutions out there. We actually have a really good article about, um, the different map making solutions available to, to people um, who are looking to make maps for, any kind of tabletop RPG, but uh, I'll, there's a lot of focus on D and D in in that article. So um, yeah, if, if you want to know all your different options, you can check out that article. But Dungeon Fog is somebody that we've partnered with um, in the past, and I really really like their software. Um, the my probably my favorite part about it is that. Um, there's this feature that they just released called GM notes, which when you place assets in your map and you're, you know, you've kind of finished tidying it up, um, instead of having to write your own description, the software automatically figures out what you've placed in that map. And it adds that to this kind of, you know, note structure thing that you can either copy and paste into your typical campaign notes or import into some other, um, world building software. Um, and you know, it, it saves tons of time. Yeah, no, I can only imagine. All right, well, we're going to take a break. And when we get back from the break, we're going to be talking about horror and design and all of the stuff that comes from that. This is user friendly 2.0. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We are here talking to Mike Bernier with Arcane Eye. Mike, uh, good to still have you on the show here. We're going to talk a little bit now about design and horror and different things. So if somebody was wanting to put together a campaign, give us some ideas on how horror would work with role-playing. Yeah, so there's a couple different options you can go for if you want to play a horror-based tabletop role-playing game. Um, D&D is a great option because it's a versatile system and there's been um, adventures that have been published in the past that follow the kind of horror tropes. 
um, it, you know, it, as far back as the 1970s when it was first created, uh, Gary Gygax released this module called Tomb of Horrors. And it's essentially like a lich's dungeon that is trying its best to kill the players that are in it. There's yeah, also it a murder uh, dungeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a straight up murder dungeon. And it's been um, redone for the fifth edition, if that's your cup of tea, uh, in. Uh, what's it called? Tales from the Yawning Portal. Tales from the Yawning Portal. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if, if you want to murder your players, there's a good way to do it there. <laughs> then there's also the uh, famous uh, setting of Ravenloft, which is kind of this gothic horror vampires, werewolves, ghosts, undead. And um, you can play through that in Curse of Strahd, which is also a fifth edition um, module. Then, um, you know, when it comes to other types of horror you can easily like you know again the with with D &D, um i think that if you're playing horror in D D, people might not like the fact that at the end of the day these guys are still heroes it's still quite hard to kill your party if that's something you're trying to do so player death is a little bit of a of a hard thing to accomplish um you know at the end of the day they're still going to be casting spells and fighting bad guys and and all that kind of stuff but if you wanted to go into more psychological, you feel way more at danger, then I would highly recommend looking at Call of Cthulhu, which is another tabletop role-playing game that is specifically built around your like investigators and you're trying to figure out why this, you know, small quaint fishing town is suddenly going insane and you know you lose your mind and, and the, the the encounters are extremely lethal. Um, so there's kind of two different routes you can go. Now, Bill, I know you did a game recently where we were basically in hell. Oh, Descent uh, <laughs> to Avernus. Yeah. Um, and we did yes. run Hell of Cthulhu for you guys actually before as well. Yeah, I do, re I do remember that. So when you were putting that together, what did you run into? Uh, Call of Cthulhu is an interesting one. Um, but I, we were doing it on Roll20, which actually provided me with a lot of other options of being able to use like the whisper system within the game to say, Oh, this person hears this, or you see this and mm -hmm. not let any of the other players know. Okay. All right. So that totally. And so it really helped to add to like the, wait, did you guys hear that? No. <laughs> oh, that, that is so cool. I, I love that. Um, really right now I'm working on a Raven, another Ravenloft campaign and I ran curse of Strahd for this group actually before. um, it was definitely the meme, if you've ever seen it, where it's like, what I think my party is going to be, and it was Bram Stoker's Dracula, where it actually ended up being was Dracula dead and loving it. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, th that's one thing, is that um, no matter what kind of tabletop role-playing game you play, people use comedy to break the tension. So, um, <laughs> you know, I feel like th there's a lot of goofing around that happens probably more so than a typical campaign, because people are scared and they're trying to break the tension oh yeah. yeah totally totally makes sense all right mike we're just getting to the end of our time here what's next for our canine so we're actually coming out with a full-length article about running horror in DD. so if that's something that you're interested in check out our um, website it'll actually be probably it'll probably be up by the time this um episode airs um we're also running uh coupon giveaways on our social media and via newsletter all throughout october um, unfortunately, by the time this airs, there will only be one more to go. But um, you know, make sure you you check out our Instagram and Twitter for that. 
Um, you can find our uh, Instagram at the underscore arcane underscore I. Um, and then Twitter is at arcane underscore I. Um, or you could go to arcaneye.com um, and scroll to the bottom and you can see our newsletter subscription, our Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. All right. Sounds great. Well, thank you for joining us today. We are going to get your social media out on our social media. And that's one user friendly on Facebook and Twitter. You can also check out our website, userfriendlyshow.com. Send us your questions. Mike, we'd love to have you back in the future. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we give answers, at least we endeavor to. How do you send your questions? That's a good question. Give us a call, 503-766-6264, or online, one user-friendly on Facebook or Twitter, or userfriendlyshow.com. What questions do we have this week? Is it true that Amazon's new world will burn out my graphics card? Yeah, Bill, you, you know, you do gaming. What do you think of this? Well, of course, Amazon's denying it, but that's not talking about everybody on Reddit and the people who have actually had it happen to them. Uh, Apparently, what it is, is it's causing an issue where if you limit your frame rate, it keeps your graphics card from burning out. But basically, it's some bad coding in the game that is bypassing the normal safety things of your video graphics card. So if you have a fancy uh, 3080 Ti or whatever you have, like, I mean, that's what I got, but I'm not going to play it just out of risk of that. Yeah, well, wow. especially considering that a lot of these high-end video graphics cards cost more than your computer. Um, you, you know, you wouldn't want to go for that, and I'm not entirely sure the warranty would cover that kind of a failure either. No, they haven't been. Yeah, so, you know, I, and I'm in the same boat. The, the Alienware desktop has uh, one of these just, you know, super-duper cards. I'm not even sure what it is, but I know it's as big as the computer practically and has, like, five fans on it. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's just a situation. And I also know that these are the cards that they've been trying to buy and have been buying for the Bitcoin stuff. So not only will it burn out your card sometimes, but it's actually very difficult in some cases to replace it. Yeah, I was lucky to get my video card last year. That's for sure. Yeah, I was in the same boat. So is it still illegal to buy a Dell Alienware in Oregon? Yeah, this is a question that keeps coming up. And this actually, what this is, is there's a law, it's in seven states that has to do with energy consumption. And some of the Dell Alienware desktops, uh, specifically with the R12 and some of those lines, exceed that. So they can't be sold in the states that have this restriction. Oregon is one of them. Washington's another. The list is online. So the question out there is you can still get an Alienware if you want one, but you have to know what to buy and you have to look at the uh, restrictions on the energy consumption. And there are still some models that you can't get, and that will always be the case unless they change the law or unless Dell reduces the energy consumption. So right now, the answer is still yes, but not across the board. There are some models that are still available and some that aren't. What is Adobe's project in between? Yeah, and what was the comment when we were going through this before we started recording that it's probably overpriced? (laughs) Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, 
It's Adobe, so it's probably way too expensive and subscription-based, and there's probably another program out there that can do it just as easy. Yeah, I hate sh- subscription-based. Me too. Yep, yep. Oh, no, that's af- absolutely a thing. But for this, what we're dealing with is an AI-based thing that can create a video in between photos. So, so it creates something called living photos. So the idea is, say you have a picture and then another picture of a similar frame of the same item that's 15 so it's a transition it's it makes a transition basically yeah so if we took a photo of me looking straight ahead and then looking to the left it would make a video of me turning my head to the left basically basically it uses something called adobe sense ai it was shown off at the convention and uh creates slow motion clips between the videos so kind of an interesting idea i think there could be definitely a place for this and it'd be interesting to see how it works some of the Demo stuff that Adobe put out actually looks pretty good, but of course, you know, has it been photoshopped? Har har. Uh, <laughs> can I recycle my old tech? Yeah, topic this week for Tech Wednesday, and I encourage everybody to go out there and take a look because there's a number of different things to do. E recycling is a big thing. A lot of different states have a lot of different offerings for this, so you need to check locally to what you can do. But the other thing is, is a lot of the big box retailers are getting involved in this. Walmart, Target, Best Buy, GameStop, and so on are doing things where you can trade in tech and get gift cards or other things for it, and then be able to use that to purchase new stuff at their respective stores. And then what they do is they either recycle or resell it. A lot of our tech, when we're done with it, can be resold internationally and is still usable, so that's kind of where they're going with this. It's also a little bit of a better way to dispose of things because a lot of our devices store information. Most of them do now. And having a way to securely delete everything is important. So, and what's offered with these things is if you send it back through them, they are supposed to take care of that for you. Now, I still would do it myself before I send anything off, but that's basically (laughs) where that is. But it is a way to be able to get some money or some resource and keep a lot of stuff out of the landfills. Are foldable phones any good? Yeah, so this is the new thing. Since 2007, when the first iPhone came out, smartphones have basically had the same design. It's kind of this rectangular thing with a screen. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a notch or you don't have a notch. There's a few things that vary like that. They get thinner as the technology gets better for that. But it's still overall the same kind of an idea. So manufacturers are looking for different things to do. And Samsung has come out with a foldable phone. This isn't the first one on the market. They've had them for a while, but they just haven't worked real well. The commercial one that they've come out with here is a little bit better, but with a retail price starting at about $2,000, I would wait for the price to come down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just make sure they got the bugs worked out. I, I don't know. Do you guys want a foldable, uh, excuse me, a foldable phone? Yeah, I can say that. I liked my old Pebble. That was a great phone. Um, but yeah, it wasn't quite, quite a smartphone at the time. And that amount of money, I'd rather buy a really super cool laptop. <laughs> and you could. I mean, you know. For yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But, um, but yeah, so these, these are some things that are coming to market. And Microsoft also has a version of this. They're not calling it a smartphone. I think it's because they crashed and burned so much when they tried to make smartphones. <laughs> but um, it's, a, it's a foldable device, whatever that may mean. But the pro- mm. And it does run Android, which is interesting. But the problem is, is it doesn't work well where the crease is. So if you try to have an app that uses the full screen, it probably isn't going to work right. So that's a problem, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I'm a very much uh, early adopter of new tech. I love it. But I do think with some of these things, it's a good idea to just let them get the bugs worked out of it. 
and you know just have a look at things and then also let the cost come down a little bit. I can assure you that after the holidays, it'll be less money to get the same device, and there'll probably be some other things on the market that you'll be able to use. They're just as good to give you some choice. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Great show this week, guys. Yeah. yeah. You know, happy Halloween to everybody out there. This is always a fun time of year, and certainly for me, one of my favorite times of year. And It was kind of fun to have that interview. Arcane Eye puts out a lot of good material. We've enjoyed it. It was kind of fun talking to them. And we're going to keep going here, and as they come up with new stuff, I'm sure that we'll be able to get a preview on that going forward, which is kind of nice. So, television. Jeremy and Gretchen, what if uh, anything have you guys seen out there that you like or would like to talk about? Uh, well, we we saw the the new season of the Great British Baking Show is, is available. I mean, it, it's coming out as episode by episode, so it's dropping on Fridays. And it's one of those shows that if um, you just want something that is uplifting and happy, that's the show to watch. Nobody is is mean or or you know how some competitions they'll pit people against each other. This doesn't have that feeling at all. This is a, a very positive show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a few of those out there, reality shows, where they don't try to gang up on each other, which is kind of nice. And then there's the other way. There's people that like it, obviously. I'm not one of them, where they argue <laughs> all the time. Yeah, but, um, no, this is that way at all. And there's two main um, hosts, uh, a guy named Paul Hollywood and, and Prue Leaf. Okay. And then the, the show is is hosted by uh, Noel Fielding and Matt Lucas. So they're they're British comedians, and they are really funny. Yeah, they are fun. <laughs> and, and there's just a really wide variety of contestants. They all have interesting, unique personalities. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I don't know, it makes you want to afterwards go out and... Can you I know? bake that? Yeah. <laughs> and there are some things you're like, no, I don't even want to go there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just wondering. You know, reality shows are interesting. The three of us uh, worked on one. A couple, oh, a couple yes. of years ago, and where they didn't want to have a host. Hosts are very important, and obviously, this was Hosts a problem. Hosts glue things together. Yeah, and it, yeah. it was interesting. I I still remember that experience, though, because I mean, it was reality. We were shooting in you know different places. It was uh, uh, a show called uh, Next Best Bartender, I think was the name of it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, so this was done in bars and different things like that for bartenders to show off their things. And there was a certain aspect of it that was definitely reality, and the ninety percent of it that was very staged in one way or another. You know, we didn't have a script, but things were put together, situations were created, scenes were derived, and uh, it certainly was a situation that uh, that you saw this kind of stuff. So you know, it's interesting to watch these and see the different ways they do it, and you can kind of tell which ones are a little more real and a little less. So this sounds you know, like a I pretty have good one. I have no idea if this one has contrived things. Yeah. I mean, there are set events or procedures that people have to do, and they give them an amount of time to do it, and either they do or they don't. Right. Yeah. I can only imagine me trying to be on a show like that. I would be one of the don'ts. But anyway, I can't <laughs> cook, and there you are. And on that <laughs> note, until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. 
User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or the station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by wearetechnology.com. Podcast available at userfriendlynation.com, theanswerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.